I remember feeling the punch in the gut. Last year, Ravi Zacharias passed away. And many of you know who Ravi Zacharias is. He actually spoke here at Texas A&M one time. He's a well-known author and speaker. He's written a number of different books explaining the Christian faith and defending it. And he's known as an apologist, this, this person who would go around and he gave brilliant defenses of Christianity. And so with the passing of his life this past year, we lost someone who was impactful for so many, many different people. In fact, at his memorial service, uh, there were a, a number of notable people there. Uh, the, the Heisman Trophy winner, Mike Pence, I'm sorry, Mike Pence, Tim Tebow was there. Uh, Lecrae, the hip-hop artist, was there. The recording artist, Matt Redman, was there. And the White House even sent uh, Mike Pence to, to speak there. And in that uh, speech he gave, he said, In Ravi Zacharias, God gave us the greatest Christian apologist of this century. And so his passing was indeed a mile marker. But his passing was not the punch in the gut that I'm referring to. If you know what has been going on in the news around him lately, just four months after his memorial service, Christianity Today ran an article that said, Ravi Zacharias' ministry investigates claims of sexual misconduct at spas. He owned spas himself and took advantage of people at those places. And as the investigation uncovered, he hid hundreds of pictures on his phone and in his binders. There was allegations and substantial reports that found out to be true of abuse during massages and even a rape allegation in the midst of that. And so when I heard that, it felt like a deep punch in the gut because this man I had respected. He had influenced me. I'd given his books out to other people to help them to understand Christianity. One person who worked with him a man by the name of Carson Wittenauer said in the wake of this betrayal that the greatest apologist was the greatest fraud. And this is what he wrote. The realization that Ravi Zacharias was not the greatest apologist of his generation, but rather one of its greatest frauds has felt like a catastrophic betrayal. And dealing with this news... I have felt a sickening combination of revulsion and grief. In the midst of intense disappointment and anger, I have managed to find comfort in Jesus' words. And indeed, we always find comfort in the words of Jesus. And we're going to look at some of those today. But as we think about what happened with this man, Ravi Zacharias, who had an international platform, who was known around the world, how did this happen? What was the gap in his life that enabled him to be one person in public and another person, a very, very different person in private? That's the question I want us to entertain this morning. Because, unfortunately, these stories keep coming. We keep hearing more and more, it seems, of Christians falling from positions of leadership, betraying trust that they had been given. And so as we get ready to look at what Jesus has to say, I want us to ask this question. We all hate hypocrisy when we see it in others, but can we see it in ourselves? 
And the reason I want to ask this question as we get ready to look at what Jesus had to say is because where Ravi Zacharias ended was not where he began. There were certain things that he was okay living with, certain gaps in his life that he didn't mind, that eventually led to this. And I don't want that to happen in my life, and I don't want it to happen in your life. And that's why we have some good words of Jesus that we need to listen to this day. And so we're going to call our study, The Importance of Character, When Image is Everything. We live in an age, perhaps unlike any, where image is everything. And character sometimes doesn't matter at all. And so as we get ready to look at these words of Jesus, let's pause for just a moment and pray and ask the Lord to work in our own hearts this day. Lord, it's devastating when we hear news of someone like Ravi Zacharias or another famous Christian leader or someone that we trust or someone that has influence in our life ending up not being who we thought they were. And that's terrible whenever it happens. Lord, allow us to enter into this moment where we think about these kind of failures. And let's ask some hard questions of ourselves. Enable us to do that, Lord, as we look at these words of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that in, in these words that one point or one way is comforting and another way is very convicting and challenging, that you would meet us and you would do work in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is how Luke chapter 12 begins. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he, that is Jesus, began to say to his disciples. Now let me pause before we look and see what Jesus says and just get this picture. What Luke has just told us is Jesus has confronted the religious leaders of his day Entering to a mode of, of a prophet, he pronounced six woes upon the religious leaders of his day, trying to awaken them to the danger of the trajectory that they were on. And what disturbed Jesus most about them was their hypocrisy. And so now thousands of people are gathering around Jesus and his disciples. By every measure, his movement is successful and wildly popular. And so Jesus pulls his disciples to the side and he wants to give them some words and You might think that Jesus wants to say, hey guys, go get them. Go bless these people. Or maybe he would say, don't let these crowds go to your head. But that's not what Jesus says. In fact, one thing is on his mind that is probably still lingering from the encounter he just had with the religious leaders of his day. And so he began to say to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees which is hypocrisy. Interesting. Thousands of people are gathered around his disciples. Jesus is about to have some amazing ministry. He's going to tell some incredible stories that are going to help people understand spiritual truth in a new way, to understand God in a new way and themselves in a new way. But in the midst of of all this pressing in, he feels the need to turn to his disciples, his followers, and to tell them, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, if you don't know what leaven is, leaven is a rising agent like yeast or baking powder that is put into dough. 
that causes it to, to expand and to grow. And so a little bit of leaven, a little bit of yeast begins to multiply and, and to fill and to transform something into another thing entirely. And so when Jesus says to beware of hypocrisy, he's trying to get at something with his disciples. Now that word hypocrisy from the Greek language originally referred to an actor. When a man or a woman, even though it sounds weird to us, walked onto a stage, they were being hypocritical in the sense of, of pretending to be something that they were not. And everyone understood that. They're not being you know, John Doe up there on stage. They're being you know, Marcus Aurelius or something like that. And so the word hypocrisy at one point meant simply to mean to play the part on the stage. But very quickly it became known as something entirely different. So that we now understand the word hypocrisy, and this is what Jesus was getting at as well, to be the condition of pretending to be something in, uh, that one is not, especially in the area of morals or ethics, or religion, or spirituality. And so Jesus doesn't want his disciples to be like the religious leaders of his day. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew records these words for, of Jesus. He said, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, everything they do is done for people to see. Ooh, what an indictment. Everything that they do has one motivation. They want people to see it. And so Jesus goes on and says, Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying. Jesus wants his followers to be known for something different than hypocrisy. There's plenty of hypocrisy in religious leaders. In Jesus' day and in ours. And so he wants his disciples to be different. He doesn't want them to, to shut the door of heaven in people's faces. And so let's think of hypocrisy like this. Hypocrisy is the gap between the public me and the real me. Did you get that? Hypocrisy is the gap between the public pe uh, me, what other people see, and the real me. And when there's that gap, we adopt strategies <laughs> to put up something of a facade for people to see. We had this quote from Brene Brown a few weeks ago. We spend too much precious time and energy managing perception and creating carefully edited versions of ourselves to show to the world. The Pharisees excelled in this. They were all about managing perception. Everything they did was so that people would see they were creating carefully edited versions of themselves to show to the world. And Jesus doesn't want that for his followers. He doesn't want them living with that kind of burden. So he tells them, beware of hypocrisy. That's interesting. Of all the things that Jesus could have said in this moment, this is what he brings to their attention in the midst of the crowds that are out there. A number of years ago, 2007, a book was released by the Barnard Research Group, and they asked young people what they thought about Christians. And they put this together in a report explaining it. And the report, in the form of this book, basically summarized it in one word, unchristian. And they said, whether we like it or not, the term hypocritical has become fused to young people's experience with Christians. 
85% of young outsiders have had sufficient exposure to Christians and churches that they conclude present-day Christianity is hypocritical. My friends, that breaks my heart. If you're a follower of Jesus, I know that breaks your heart. 85%. I don't want to discourage you, but if you were to tell a young person that you're a Christian, probably the first thing they're going to think of is, oh, you're one of those hypocrites. How is it that the followers of Jesus, the most authentic and real person who has ever lived, how do those followers of Jesus mess this up so badly? How can we ignore a central teaching of Jesus, a central warning that he gave his disciples to beware of hypocrisy so that now when people think of the followers of Jesus, the first thing that comes to their mind or one of the first things that comes to their mind are hypocrites. The Apostle Paul in his monumental work in the book of Romans raises this question to early followers of Jesus. He says, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And speaking these words, the Apostle Paul pulls words from the prophets of old. And trying to awaken the, the seared conscience of God's people. And says, do you not know that the way you're living is causing the nations to blaspheme God? You are supposed to be the light to the world. You who have been entrusted with the grace of God. Exist now as a reason for the nations to blaspheme God. So Jesus follows up his warning to his disciples by saying, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. I was thinking about this verse earlier in the week when our nation waited with bated breath to hear the verdict of the jury in the case of Derek Chauvin, who, as we all know, snuffed out the life of George Floyd. I heard that the, the verdict had been reached, and my heart quickened, because I knew what this moment meant for our nation. And I thought, whatever happens, we have the evidence of that video footage, something that that no doubt Derek Chauvin did not want to be seen around the world. We have that now. And so I listened as the news came back with a conviction of guilty, with a verdict of guilty, and Derek Chauvin being convicted of all three counts of murder. What I found interesting, and I didn't know this at the time, 
was the, the day after this tragic event of George, George Floyd's life being taken, the Minneapolis police had a report on their website about this incident, and it said this, officers were able to get the suspect into handcuffs and noted he appeared to be suffering medical distress. Officers called for an ambulance. He was transported to Hennepin County Medical Center by ambulance where he died a short time later. And I thought, how tragic it is when people who are entrusted with power, those that we entrust with authority, those that we entrust with weapons to help enforce the law, would not only do something like this, but then cover it up. What if there was no video? What if we didn't see with our own eyes the cruelty of that officer? Nothing is hidden that will not be revealed. But when I thought about that verse, I'm like, well, sometimes it, it does happen where some things stay hidden. Sometimes there are secrets that, that never seem to be revealed, right? But I think Jesus is getting at something else here. He continues in verse 3. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. This isn't just because Alexa is listening to you in your house. <laughs> I think Jesus is getting at something deeper here. The God who knows and the God who sees all things. Nothing is hidden from his sight. And he will bring everything to account. In fact, Christianity proclaims that we live within a moral universe. That God himself is a morally pure being. He created us to love and to bless others. But with the fall of humanity, we take things into our own hands. And instead of loving others, we, we use them and oftentimes abuse them. And so I think what Jesus is getting at is what was said in the book of Ecclesiastes. God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so my friends, I wonder if we can feel the gravity of the words that Jesus is saying here. He's telling his disciples, and through his disciples, he's telling us, Beware of hypocrisy. Nothing can be hidden from God. Everything, even what you say in private, will be called to account. And so, let's ask the question, why does Luke record this warning of Jesus to his disciples in his historical biography of Jesus? Luke is presenting us with Jesus, this amazing person who has ever lived, and he's wanting to do so because he's wanting to, to call us to put our trust in him and to put our faith in him and to become followers of Jesus. But Luke also wants us to hear Jesus saying that when we follow him, to beware of hypocrisy because he does not want that to be in his people. And I think sometimes we excuse hypocrisy by saying we're all hypocrites to one degree or another. None of us lives perfectly, and that's certainly true. But let's not use that as an excuse to cover over hypocrisy in our own lives. So if I can summarize what we're trying to say in this study, it's simply this. Hypocrisy is the gap between what people see and the real me. I wonder if I could get you to say this with me. I know it's kind of weird to say something together like this in the middle of a sermon, but I want you to, to hear this rolling off of your own lips. Let's say this together. Hypocrisy is the gap 
between what people see and the real me. Hypocrisy is the gap between what people see and the real me. And this is what Jesus is wanting us to see. So just a couple of points of application, my friends. <laughs> the first one is this. Let's, let's listen to these words of Jesus as if he were speaking them directly to us. Now, originally in context, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, those men that he called and invited to follow him. And for those of us who have heard the call of Jesus and are following him, let's hear through these words that Jesus spoke to his disciples to our very situation today. And let me ask maybe if we could put it this way. Ask yourself the question, why is God bringing this to your attention today? What is it that God wants you to see that maybe you're not seeing? Because you see, my friends, it's easy to hide. It's easy to live with that gap. It's easy to justify. It's as old as the fall of humanity. Remember back when Adam and Eve took that temptation to themselves and determined they would live according to their own dictates of what was right and wrong. And when God came looking for them, asking, where are you? Adam spoke up and said, I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. Those words spoken, I think, can describe each and every one of us. There's a sense in which you and I know that we have done certain things that we wish we hadn't had done. And, and, and we live with this uneasy burden, tension, maybe fear, that if people saw the real me, then they would run in the opposite direction. So what we do is we, we hide. We manage perceptions. We spend time crafting carefully edited versions of ourselves to show other people. And so we live with this gap between what we're really like and what other people see. And for some, that gap is a lot bigger. Ravi Zacharias lived with this tremendous gap. And so I think what Jesus is calling us to do is to be honest. But I think many of us would say, I can't be honest about what I've done because God would reject me. As I mentioned earlier in our service, there's an instinct within us that knows that we have violated God's standards. And this being who is morally pure, who's, whose eyes are too pure to look upon evil, if you were to really see past our carefully edited versions of ourselves, would reject us. And let me just say that God has a right to do that. But what God wants us to see, what he wants us to be free of, is this hypocrisy. That's why the scriptures say, as we saw earlier in our service, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them obtains mercy. What God wants us to see is, is when we see this gap in our life, and when we're afraid and want to hide, to not hide and to bring it before him, <laughs> to lay it before him, to obtain mercy. Because when we combine that with the truth of the gospel, in which we understand that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that when he died on the cross in this, this cruel conspiracy between the religious leaders and the Roman Empire to put to death this morally perfect person, that God was at work, as the Father and the Son had agreed beforehand, to lay our sins upon his broad shoulders that they would be condemned in the flesh. That means, my friends, among other things, that in that moment, 
when Jesus became our sin, that Jesus was counted as the biggest hypocrite who had ever lived. He became our hypocrisy. And in that moment, God was able to condemn our sin in his flesh so that he can forgive us and that we could go free. That's why the Apostle Paul would have these two great therefore statements in the book of Romans. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that is, declared not guilty and righteous before God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He would go on to say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. We can be freed from that hypocrisy. It doesn't have to define us. And we can actually go to battle against it, which we're going to see in just a moment. I just want to remind you of this wonderful passage in J.I. Packer's classic work, Knowing God. He said, because of the gospel of Jesus, there is tremendous relief. And knowing his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery can now disillusion him about me in the way I'm so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. Do you hear what he said? The way Kyle Ottoman put it was like this. The one who knows me best loves me most. Praise God for that. So that's the first point of application. Let's hear Jesus speaking these words of warning. Beware of hypocrisy directly to you and to me. And here's the the second point of application. Let's mind the gap. There are places I'm told in in London where you have the subway system and there's this gap between the platform and where the subway is. And so you have these words laid out to remind people to mind the gap so their foot doesn't get stuck in the gap between the platform and the train. Let's mind the gap. If, if hypocrisy is the gap between the real me and what people see, let's pay attention to that gap. What's going on there? You see, the scriptures tell us that the heart is deceitful above all things. Not just Ravi Zacharias's heart. Not just like that failed politician's heart, but our own hearts have the tremendous capacity to deceive us. That means in one sense we're our own worst enemy. We deceive ourselves. We play a fast one on us. I love the way Cornelius Plantinga put it in his book, not the way it's supposed to be. First, we deceive ourselves, and then we convince ourselves that we're not deceiving ourselves. (laughs) How do we know if we're deceived? I mean, isn't the very definition of being deceived that we don't know that it's happening? We need to mind the gap because, as Os Guinness said, we are walking scandals waiting to happen. If there's a gap between what people see and the real me, and if our heart is incredibly deceitful, that means you and I are just one really dumb mistake. One moment of indulged selfishness to becoming a scandal. And so let's ask this question. What do I not see about the real me? 
What do I not see about the real me? And my friends, let me tell you, (laughs) I mentioned this from time to time, most likely we're going to need the help of someone else to see it. You remember we just worked through uh, Psalm 51 and that story about King David and his sexual predation on Bathsheba, the murder of her husband to cover it up. And there's this gap between what he wanted people to see and the real him. And he was blind to it. His heart deceived him. He thought he could get away with it until Nathan the prophet came and said, you are the man. What do I not see about the real me? And if it's in our nature to deceive ourselves, I wonder if maybe we could have the courage to ask other people that question. What do you see about me that I don't see? Here's the third point of application. Let's seek and destroy hypocrisy in our own lives. This is why Jesus brought this up to his disciples in the first place. He wanted them to beware of it. And if you're aware of it, when you see it, you should seek and destroy it. Just like a little leaven works through a whole batch of dough. Hear this, my friends. So too, a little bit of hypocrisy can work itself into our whole lives. We might think that just this little indiscretion that no one sees doesn't affect anyone. But it begins working like yeast in a batch of dough. And it begins infecting our lives. So that if we get away with something here, we can get away with something there. If we can take advantage of this situation here, we can take advantage of a, of a bigger situation here. And so, my friends, let's seek out that yeast of the Pharisees that is growing in our lives, which is hypocrisy, and let's seek to snuff it out because of what Jesus has done for us. The Apostle Paul, once again, writing to Christians living in the ancient city of Colossae, reminds them of the glorious news of the gospel, and then he gives them application flowing from that. Listen to this. He tells them, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When did they die? They're still alive. They're still walking human beings. They died when they said no to their sin and said yes to Jesus. Their old way of life is now supposed to be behind them. So he tells them, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. What wonderful promises. And then he says this, therefore, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. What if Ravi Zacharias, who was this wonderful spokesman for the Christian faith, put into practice the warning of Jesus? What if in understanding the glorious news of Jesus, the logical implication in his own life was that he would put to death the hypocrisy that was there, the sexual immorality, the impurity, the lust, the greed, the evil desires. That's what we're called to do. He would put it like this, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Ephesians. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So my friends, imagine... Imagine what Bryan College Station would be like if everyone put into practice this teaching of Jesus. If everyone looked at their life and were vigilant against hypocrisy. Can you imagine how our city would be? 
How would our workplaces be different? What would it be like if everyone kept their word, no matter how much it cost, no matter the inconvenience, because they were people of their word? What if we could trust anyone around our kids because simply everyone in this town is trustworthy? What would it be like if people were not hypocrites, but were people of integrity? What would our city look like? How would things be different? If you can begin to imagine it, what that would be like, you can begin to imagine the kind of world Jesus wants to create. It's a foretaste of the kingdom of God. And let me ask you this question. What if we at Mercy Hill Church, those of us who are here today, those of us who are away on vacation, visiting family, those of us who are watching online, what if we here at Mercy Hill Church are the ones that began to change people's perceptions of Christians? What if when people thought of a Christian, they said, oh, I know Todd. He's a Christian. He's a man of integrity. What if people said, Heather, she's a Christian, and I don't believe some of the crazy stuff that she believes, but there is no one who has integrity like she does. What if instead of 85% of young people thinking of Christians as hypocrites, we could flip that, that script so that when they think of Christians, because they've had experience with us, they would say, Christians, they're the people in our culture who have integrity. They are the ones who are trustworthy. They are the ones whose word means what they say. They are the ones that we would trust with our own children. What if, my friends, that were actually the case? So Mercy Hill Church, may you so grow in integrity in Christ that the gap between what people see and the real me vanishes as you put into practice these words of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, as we hear these words of Jesus, probably most of us in this room and watching online, hearing the sound of my voice, are aware of ways in which we have failed in following Jesus. We have not reached perfection yet. But Lord, may you so work in our life that the direction of our lives is towards greater integrity. May we hear these words of Jesus as if he were speaking them directly to us. May we mind that gap between what people see and the real me. And may we search and destroy hypocrisy wherever it is in our life. And Lord, would you bless us in this endeavor so that people would look at us and not have reasons to dismiss Christianity, but perhaps would be even intrigued because they see that something is different in our lives from everything else they see all around. Lord, would you work that grace deep into our life? Instead of the leaven of hypocrisy, may the leaven of grace so multiply and saturate and transform our lives so that we become people of integrity, people who heed the words of Jesus so that hypocrisy is not found among us. Make it so, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, at this time we want to dedicate our lives to God, not to hold anything back. We oftentimes take our tithes and offerings during this time. We're not doing that. We're just giving online. Thank you for doing so. But in the context of that giving is always the greater giving of ourselves. 
And so, my friends, you've heard both the challenging words of Jesus and you've heard the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ as well. And so let's stand together and let's respond by singing, Thy mercy, my God. the theme of my song, the joy of my heart and the boast of my tongue. Thy free grace alone from the first to the last hath won my affections and bound my soul fast. Without thy sweet mercy I could not live here. Reduce me to utter despair, but through thy free goodness my spirit's revived, and he that first made me still keeps me alive. Thy mercy is more than a match for my heart, which wonders to feel its own hardness depart. By thy goodness I fall to the ground And weep for the praise of the mercy I found Great Father of mercies, thy goodness I own And the covenant love of thy crucified Son All praise to the Spirit whose whisper divine mercy and pardon and righteousness mine all praise to the spirit whose whisper divine seals mercy and pardon and righteousness Spirit seals his mercy and righteousness divine to our own lives is through the preaching of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another way is through this meal that we partake together. Those of us who name the name of Jesus are invited week in and week out here at Mercy Hill Church to come together at this table to cast ourselves upon the mercy and the grace which is more than abundant to cover us and to transform us that we might live as Jesus calls us to live. This meal was a Passover meal, and Jesus had it on the night uh, before he was crucified with his disciples. He took that bread of Passover, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat. He also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. And friends, whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Lord, in the context of lifting our lives up to you as a sacrifice, we do so acknowledging the prior sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't call us to atone for our own sins because Jesus has done that for us. Yet you call us to respond to that grace. And so we do so in that moment and we lift up our hearts and give you thanks and praise because it is truly right to glorify you, Lord God Almighty, and to give thanks to you For you alone are God, the maker of heaven and earth. You loved us so much 
that in the fullness of time, you sent your beloved son to be our savior, to fulfill your purposes. He died that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who loved us and gave himself for us. So therefore now, Lord, as we come to this table, we ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us and upon these gifts of bread and wine, that we may partake of the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ in a manner worthy of those who by grace are being called into your eternal kingdom and glory. Praise be to you, O Christ. Dying, you destroyed our death. Rising, you restored our life. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them believing that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Take, eat, and drink. Lord Jesus, you are worthy of all honor and praise and glory. As we wrap up this service, hear these words that we sing to you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, let's stand together and let's conclude our service today by singing the words of the hymn, This I Believe.
eternal. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. For I believe in the name of Jesus. Friends, thanks for gathering here together. Those of you who are watching online, we miss you and long to be uh, together again. So as God gets ready to send us uh, back out into this world, having heard the challenge of Jesus, having received the grace of God and believed it afresh for us this day, we want to send you out with these words. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you both throughout this week and your entire life until the day when Jesus comes again to renew all things. Go in peace.